So I heard a priest uh, say recently that when it comes to our relationship with the Lord, uh, the Lord does, does everything. So all we have to do is receive. We don't actually have to make any effort at all. That all, like The Lord has died on the cross. The Lord has defeated sin and death and so on and so forth. So we don't actually have to do anything. Uh, and the idea that we have to do something is well, what he called Pelagianism, so that we, we save ourselves. And I must say, I sat there thinking, I disagree. I, I, I disagree with you, in the sense that, yes, absolutely, the Lord has defeated sin and death and all those things uh, on the cross. Uh, the Lord is victorious, absolutely, but there is something for us to do. There is something for us to do. Not that we say we never save ourselves, that would be a heresy, but we do have to open our hearts to receive. We do have to actually want this. Like, the, the Lord, um, he gives back infinitely more than we give him, but he does ask us to give us something like, you know, come to me, all you who labor and overburdened, and I will give you rest, but, but come to me. There's something that we have to do. Now, that's not to say that, that the Lord is hiding from us and makes it difficult for us to find him, and we have to go through all these efforts to find him. <clears throat> no, the Lord is coming in search of us all the time, absolutely. But he can knock on our door, or he can offer us all sorts of graces and healing and redemption and, and holy communion. He can offer us so much grace, and we can say, no, we can refuse it. So there is something for us to do. Now, as I say, we do not save ourselves, but we absolutely do have to, have to want what the Lord is offering or have to accept what the Lord is offering. Very often when we ask confirmation students here, um, what does the Lord ask us to do? Some of the maybe better informed confirmation students, uh, which in Ireland here, they're about 11 or 12, uh, they, they will give some of these wonderful learned off answers that they haven't a clue what they mean. Uh, so they'll say, we're called to go and spread the good news. Right. What does that mean? Usually I would ask them, what does that mean? What does, what does it mean? Go spread the good news. And you just get a blank stare. You know, it's with those lovely lines they learn at school. Go spread the good news. What on earth does that mean? Uh, in, our, in our reading today, we have uh, from the Acts of the Apostles. So the Apostles going out and sharing what is, what's known as the good news. So we have uh, Philip went to a Samaritan town to proclaim the Christ to them. The people united in welcoming uh, Philip, not just because, uh, either because they heard about the miracles that he worked or they saw the miracles uh, themselves. Those who had escaped from this, the persecution of Paul went from place to place preaching the good news. The good news. That's one of those terms that we've heard so often, but what does it mean? Now, obviously, the good news and gospel that they're the same, they're the same word. Good news, uh, the, yeah, the English, English version of, of, of that is gospel, right? So the good news, the gospel, <clears throat> share the gospel. What is that? What is the good news? What is the gospel? Even yesterday we had the Feast of, of, of St. Mark, the evangelist. What, what is this good news that we're talking about, that, that he wrote about? Well, it's the good news that there is always Hope. It's the good news that, that despite the mess that we, the increasingly crazy mess that we see out in the world, uh, even in the last two or three years, we were talking the car, we, were going to, we went to a conference yesterday, uh, myself and some of the, the guys here, and we were just talking in the car on the way up, like about just some of the insanity of where the whole <clears throat> transgender movement is, is, is leading people. Like, 
the, the most illogical things, the strangest consequences then as regards family, as regards sport, as regards political debate. It, it, it's, it's absolute insanity. But you dare not say anything or, or, or you're, you're a bigot and so on and so forth. I won't go into the whole thing now. But the, the, the whole point is like the, the, the world is getting increasingly insane, increasingly dark, increasingly uh, hostile towards, towards us, towards, towards Catholics, more than any other religion. It would say it's anti-religion in general, but uh, I don't see anyone else being persecuted like, like, like Catholics. So the, the world is increasingly uh, dark, hostile to, to the Lord and his message, to this good news. So what is that good news? That the Lord has actually overcome all of that. All sin, all death, all darkness, all disease, everything. The enemy himself. All has been overcome by Christ on the cross. Then we have this theological truth, which is uh, not always the most satisfying thing to hear. But that this victory is fulfilled, but not yet visible. So they call it in Italian, it's called già in ancora, which means already, but not yet. That's it. Already, but not yet. Right? So it's already accomplished, but not yet necessarily visible. Okay, so the, the, I mean, the Lord has defeated everything on the cross, but that victory isn't necessarily visible in your life yet. Maybe you know, you're, you're in a marriage which is absolute disaster, uh, just very, very difficult, and there might be all sorts of uh, problems there in a family or in illness or financially or all sorts of problems that we come across. So this victory then, like, I, don't, I don't really see it in my life necessarily yet, but the victory is already won, but maybe not yet visible in your life. So, so the, that's like the grace is there. The reservoir is there. Everything we need is there. And the Lord is sending out people, has established a church in order to, to spread that around. that people can come to know it and come to access all that grace. Great. So like all the heavy lifting is done by the Lord. But then we've got our bit to do. And so often, uh, our bit, we, we, there, there are exaggerations maybe on both sides. There, there, we can either think we have to do it all ourselves, which isn't true, or we have to do nothing ourselves. And I think that's untrue as well. It's not that we have to do it all and save ourselves, but at the same time, it's not true to say that I have nothing to do. That I'm saved, that's it, we're good to go. The Lord's done everything, we're, we're fine. We, we do have to adjust our lives and our behavior and our speech and our, 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 our actions according to what the Lord is asking us to do. And here again there can be exaggerations where, where we can be led to scrupulosity that, you know, if I have a second Marietta biscuit, uh, have I fallen into the sin of gluttony? No, you can have a second biscuit. You're grand. You know, you're fine. Um, or then the, the other exaggeration then <clears throat> where... Uh, uh, as I say, the Lord is so good, he doesn't mind what I do. So the Lord is merciful, so I can commit a few old sins. It doesn't really matter at the end of the day, he loves me. Not true either. See, there are always exaggerations in these things. And we're trying to, trying to, to find, not, like, not mediocrity, but I'm trying to avoid these extremes and find the, the path the Lord is calling us to. So the point I'm trying to make, and I'm taking an awful long time in getting there, uh, is, is I heard of, I read about this... Um, the English cycling team, right? The English cycling team, who were fairly disastrous, actually. Uh, up until about 2003, 
they had won practically nothing, one gold medal since, I think, 1908 uh, in cycling. So they were, they were quite bad. So much so that, that uh, the, the bike manufacturers, no one wanted to sell bikes to the English cycling team because it would make them look bad. You know, so like no one wants to support them. They, they were, they were like, uh, for, for, for quite some time, they were, they were, you know, uh, an international superpower. Uh, so they were expecting many victories and none delivered. Okay, so they weren't great at all. In 2003, this guy called uh, Dave Brailsford was hired as, as uh, the, their coach, their new coach. Now, so he's working with the same people and he's working with the same resources. But he had a, a philosophy. The aggregation of marginal gains uh, is what it's called. So basically, when it comes to a cycling team, you look at every single aspect of cycling, right? You break it down into as many different components as you can, and you try to improve every single component by 1%, right? You, you improve everything by 1%, and then this is the aggregation of marginal gains. If everything improves by 1%, when you put a whole package back together, now everything, the, the accumulation, the aggregation of all of those marginal gains now makes you maybe 10% better. And over time, obviously, that, 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 that greatly increases your performance. So that's what he did. So <clears throat> they took every aspect of, of cycling. So the tires, the tires on the bikes. What can they do to make the tires last longer or grippier? They rubbed them in a certain kind of alcohol, which made them stickier, which uh, gave you better traction on bends. Uh, they put the, the, the cyclists into uh, wind tunnels with all sorts of different cycling gear on to find out which gear was the most wind resistant, or sorry, the most uh, aerodynamic. So uh, keep them warm, but still create as less drag as possible. Uh, then they looked at every kind of massage gel that had been used on cyclists after training to find which gave the, the quickest recovery. Uh, in their uh, trucks, which are used to transport the, 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 the bikes around, they painted them with a much brighter paint so that every speck of dust could be seen to keep the, 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 the truck as sterile as possible so that the gears and chains and so on and so forth would be kept as clean as possible. You know, every single thing, the gears, the cycling, the, the, the diet, the, the, the psychologist, the, the, the uh, medical team, everything. What can we do to make them 1% better? And within, was it five years, they won 60% of all gold medals going at the Olympics. 60%. They cleaned up with the same cyclists, with the same people. But the aggregation of marginal gains transformed them from a losing team, a kind of a national disgrace that, I say, bike manufacturers would not touch, to now winning 60% in the world of all the gold medals uh, in, in, in the Olympics. So it was a phenomenal success. But that philosophy, the reason I, uh, that, that appeals to me is at times, I don't really feel capable of making huge changes in my life. And say, do you know what I'm going to do from now on? I'm only going to sleep three hours a night, and I'm going to spend the rest of it in adoration. How long will a, will a resolution like that last? One night, I'd say. And then the following morning, I'd be like a bear, right? I'd walk into the dining room. You can all just shut up the lottie, <laughs> right? And say, Father Patrick, I think you need to sleep. I'm fine, okay? I'm 
I was praying for you really hard, okay? Like, it's just not going to work, okay? I need my sleep. Uh, so we can have all these kind of grand resolutions. I'm going to revolutionize my life and I'm going to do all these sorts of things. But I think, generally speaking, those resolutions, resolutions don't last. You know, or maybe you do, it, you do it for a week at best, maybe. And then, yeah, look, it's, it's too hard or it's too difficult. I'm going back to the way things were. Whereas changing your life by 1%, 1%. So instead of saying, I'm going to get up at 5 o'clock in the morning and pray, what about I'm going to get up at 10 to 7? Instead of 7 o'clock. 10 to 7 or 5 to 7. And I'm saying this to myself thinking, okay, these are things I have to do myself, so I'll, I better start living this. But yes, get up five minutes earlier. My alarm is normally, normally goes off at 7 o'clock. Set it for 6.55 instead. Five minutes earlier. And pray one deck of the rose before the day starts. Very doable. <coughs> Very doable. <coughs> Derogation of marginal gains. What about uh, the, the, the jobs that were on? You know when, when you're just about to walk out of the kitchen when you're, when you're on kitchen cleaner and you just see that last mug that's just sitting there going, it can wait till the morning. Okay, I'll do it, I'll do it. And you just bring the last moment and then clean up and put away. 1% better. You know, when you're, when, you're, when you're hoovering, do I take off the, the head of the hoover and just with the, with the hose and get into the corner? So like, it's fine, no one will see it. You know, what, which do I decide? What do I do? In all of the aspects of, of, of community life and my prayer life and my personal life, and what I look at on, on, on the phone and what time I, I, I shut the phone down, all that kind of thing, to improve all of those things by 1%. And then before you know it, like, your life starts to look quite different. Again, the reason I say this is because I'm not sure if we're capable of massive change. And I think often these kind of massive changes generally swing back as quickly as they came. Whereas marginal gains, they say sometimes a quick conversion can lead to you know, a quick reversion or, or return back to the way things were. Whereas slowly and steadily improving our lives, and that's also why Holy Family lasts a whole year as opposed to a really intense weekend. Uh, it's, it lasts a year because it takes time to develop new habits. In my prayer life, in my personal life, it takes time. So what can I, so back to the bottom line, what can I do today? What can I do today to make my prayer life 1% better? To make my community life or wherever we're living in, our family life, to make it 1% better? What can I do? What time can I shut off the phone? What time how, is there, can I carve some more prayer time out of my day? Not, I'm not saying pray 17 rosaries because you won't do it. But one decade. In our work, what can I do to make that 1% better? When all these things are put together... How will my life look? Because if I'm called to spread the good news, then my life needs to look like this good news has had an effect. My life needs to look different. It needs to look better. All the grace is available. But what do I do with it? Because if I do nothing, then there will be no change, and I will be no different to anybody else. And the world needs people who aren't afraid to be different. It needs light bearers. It needs, needs those who carry the faith with joy into the world. So that the Lord's victory may be made manifest in us and in all of society. So we ask the Lord today to guide us and inspire us as to how he's calling us to change our lives for the better today by 1%.
Amen.